Welcome to the Nasred Podcast, or Nasred Talks About Movies, a place where movies are discussed. Today on the show, we have someone who I have known for more than 10 years. His name is Aaron Godford, and his name has come up on the show before when I had Lucas Lee Graham on the podcast, and Dave Zamet on the podcast, and Rick Darge on another podcast. I met Aaron 10 years ago on my first uh, major short film, Jane, and we have been friends ever since. The main reason his name has come up with, uh, say, Lucas Lee Graham, or Dave Zamet, or Rick, is because Aaron made an indie comedy called Little Blue Pill and in making that film we all became incredibly good friends. I can say that helping Aaron make that film was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I talked to Aaron about his journey taking the film from production to market and we chatted a bit on his role working behind the scenes of Don Coscarelli's John Dies at the End and the crazy amazing work he has been doing at Omaze in which he has been producing content starring the likes of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Channing Tatum and a whole bunch of other celebrities. I feel like if you are the type of listener who is thinking about making a film or producing content in any capacity, this talk will be the greatest talk you will ever hear. Without further ado, I present to you my chat with my good friend, Aaron Godford. Hello, Mr. Godford. Thank you for doing my podcast. We have known each other for 10 years. I'm proud to call you my friend, and we're just going to go. We're just going to rock out. Are you ready? I'm ready. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, listen, um, one of the, the first thing that I want to start off with was, I think, seven years ago, be, or maybe eight years ago, before you made Little Blue Pill, and you made this film independently. You, you brought, like, a crew of people together, which, you know, like, we're, we're going to get into it. When you were driving down to Portland from L.A. with all of your gear... And you've got like a crew of people basically waiting and not waiting, but like we were all going to go down there and we we're going to shoot this movie. What is going through your head? Wow, uh, that's the first time anyone's asked that question. I can't remember if I had anyone driving with me. I know I knew uh, I drove back from Seattle after we wrapped filming um, in one day uh-huh. with all the gear. Right. Stopping in Portland to load up more gear that I had stashed there because I was so afraid. I had all the hard drives in the computer in my car. I'm like, if I get in a fiery car accident or yeah. stop at a motel and someone breaks into my car, like the entire movie is gone. Right. But, uh, so I think about that one a lot. Driving up there, you know, I just think like being a producer first and then a writer and director second that it was probably just wondering like was all the preparation that we did for this movie was that enough right you know like we had done we had auditions in los angeles we had um you know rehearsal after rehearsal in la i mean script revisions up the yin yang probably like 10 or 15 drafts by that point right um but really like i was going up to oregon for two months of prep mm-hmm. and i stayed in my friend jesse milan's basement uh-huh. and it was a it's kind of like a half finished basement but i remember i would look up at night i'm sleeping on a bed down there and this is where his band practice so there's lots of band gear around yeah and i would see these like spider webs and spiders crawling above in this half finished basement and i'm just like oh what am i doing here? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, what, are, what are we doing with yeah, this yeah. movie but um two months of prep like yeah. for so what was a typical day uh yeah in that time? so so at that point you know we had uh, jake rossman and dave zomit both guys i went to college with right. we're in the same fraternity yeah. together um and we were location scouting so we spent a lot of time driving around oregon a lot of time calling people a lot of time um you know just looking for the right places to shoot these scenes we had 13 locations in little blue Pill oh, yeah. in a four-week shoot damn so at some point we connected with the the state, I believe, who ran Wapatu, which was a medium security prison uh-huh, that they uh-huh. had built but they had never opened. Right. So like getting to go and walk around a prison that was yeah, yeah. brand new, yeah. just had the beds and mattresses and everything. It yeah. just they had never opened it for budget reasons. So I mean, filmmaking is just a process of building upon what you've already built upon right, every right. day, right? Yeah. So you've got the script at that point, you feel pretty confident. We were doing a lot of auditions. Oregon has like a pretty big theater community. Mm-hmm. So we were, I believe we, we rented out a theater for a couple of days or maybe even um, Jake got it for free. I mean, a lot of the, the stuff we used and had and 
uh, locations and um, equipment. I mean, people in Oregon were really excited mm-hmm, to help mm-hmm. us out, and they were really excited right. that, that we were shooting this indie film in Portland. So, you know, we'd have 50 or 60 theater people come through our auditions a day. Yeah. Um, you know, and because of the the nature of Little, Little Blue Pill and mm-hmm. the, the kind of like our almost maybe NC-17 unrated comedy, like some of these auditions were hilarious. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and uncomfortable and awkward. But, um, I mean, it was really just a march towards production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of the biggest things that we're worrying about is where are we going to house all of these people, right? House you. I was going to get to George that. House George Ross Saturnino. Yeah. House the, you know, ourselves and the crew. Because at the time I was staying in the basement and, you know, I think Dave was probably staying with Jesse who had a house, but he couldn't house 20 something mm-hmm. people. Yeah. So, I mean, we looked at big furnished houses and they're like, we're never renting to you guys. Like, you want to put 20 people in here? Yeah. And like our vision was... You know, whatever it took, let's just put everyone. People can sleep on the floor. They can share share rooms. And we ended up um, talking to Portland State, mm-hmm. which gave us almost an entire floor of a dormitory yeah. where we only had two to a room. And that was really like that was a saving grace of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think we could have worked, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours a day, five days of filming a week for four weeks in a row mm-hmm. if we didn't have like our own places to kind of go back right like a decent bed and like our own bathroom and, yeah you know i mean obviously we were sharing with people but it was like so much better yeah than... it was like summer camp it was <laughs> a lot of fun yeah, it was. but you know it's funny because at that time one of the books that you and i and you especially like were into was make your own damn movie yeah and the way lloyd kaufman make uh, makes uh, independent filmmaking look like it looks like absolute hell, but like our living conditions was great. Like mm-hmm. it was like, you know, we had those dorms and stuff like that. Um, in terms of like the departments, like the different departments and stuff, how are you deciding? You know what I mean? Like, because like, I guess because of like Dave's involvement and just you had a really good crew, it felt like it didn't feel like a low budget shoot sure you know what i mean so it's like how did you select all of these like people like Anne and uh, drew and you know like how did you find all these people yeah that's a great question you know uh first of all i just want to say like i i mean it was and am so blessed to have that crew yeah many who and almost all of them who i call really my good friends right, yeah, are yeah. among my best friends in los angeles and in filmmaking um but you know all of that really started with dave yeah so Dave was uh, wrapping up or probably halfway through his first year getting an MFA and producing from AFI, mm-hmm. which in my opinion, having not gone to go to having not gone to film school, I think AFI is the best like I nuts agree. and bolts. You want to be a fucking filmmaker. Yeah. We're not going to talk about film theory. We're going to make you like, yeah, like hell like practical. Camp. Yeah. Yeah. And so and I. You know, someday I hope maybe they'll give me an honorary degree because I've yeah, hired cool. so many AFI people yeah. and I talk so uh, I talk so much about how awesome they are. Yeah. But um, you know, I think Dave and I were just talking about this project at the beginning, and and I said, hey man, I know you know we both ended up in LA. We're both filmmakers at the time. I was working for the William Morris Endeavor Agency as an assistant, and uh, I'd written Little Blue Pill, and I said, hey man, like what are you up to this summer? You going to do an internship? And I think the summer before he had interned at the Weinstein company doing kind of like development, but really like a lot of Hollywood internships are just sit in a room, read scripts that the senior executives decided not to read. So chances are these were never going to get made, fetch coffee, lunch. Like Mm -hmm. it's a lot of BS. Yeah. So I said, instead of doing that, why don't you come produce my movie with me? (laughs) And you know, he jumped, jumped on board or I don't remember if it took a lot of convincing, but like he, you know, he was my partner throughout the whole mm-hmm. thing. And uh, from there, he's like, all right, well, who do you have in mind for crew? And I'd never really hired a crew before because I'd never produced anything outside of the shorts we had done yeah, together. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he, he started making these introductions. He's like, hey, I've worked with Ann Costa, our production designer. Mm-hmm. She's the best production designer in my class. Yeah. And I said, okay, great. Let's meet with her. We met. We hit it off. I'm like, oh, my God. I'd be so honored to have you. Yeah. I can only pay you, like, a pittance. <laughs> but, you know, you'll get to be a production designer yeah. on a feature. So she came aboard. And um, and then we met with a couple DPs and ended up going with Lucas, who had graduated, I think, one or two years before this class of AFIers, also an AFI cinematographer. Mm-hmm. He's now one of my best friends. And yeah. we work together a lot. And... Um, 
tremendous DP. Uh, the first AC, so first assistant camera operator and the guy who owned the red camera is Rick. Mm-hmm. I met Rick Darge on Craigslist because I was doing a, uh, I needed to film a scene for a UCLA extension class uh-huh. that I was, uh, I was in on directing. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to film a scene, I want a red camera. Yeah. I want to try it out. I think I'm going to want to use this for my movie. So we met Rick and Rick and I have collaborated, I don't know, dozen plus times yeah. since then. And um, all three of these guys did the podcast, Dave, Lucas, and Rick. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, then let's get Ann on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, I want Ann on here. Yeah. Drew Johnson, yeah. another uh, extremely gifted cinematographer from AFI. He was our, um, he was our gaffer. And uh, Simon Dooley, Simon. Uh, Who's MacGyver. Yeah, basically. I mean, Simon is MacGyver. Like yeah. he is the, you know, he built the editing chair because he didn't have a good enough chair in the dorm. Like. He edited, did I say Simon Dooley? I meant Simon Carmody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Simon Carmody, um, I mean, editor, he operated camera some days. Like the pace we were going was like killing Lucas's back or he just mm-hmm, needed mm-hmm. A, a break. So Simon did handheld camera. Yeah. I mean, he did everything. Yeah. He's phenomenal. There was one day, and I'll try to refresh your memory. Maybe mm-hmm. you remember. And you just tell me what was going through your head and as a producer, as a filmmaker, as a director, what you were prepared to do and because i remember how it resolved itself where there was a day where there was a scene where the the lead actor aaron kuban is at a crosswalk or at a cross station or something and there's a really hot chick uh, next to him Mm -hmm. and then there's like that scene and stuff and somehow i guess a a car company that was shooting a commercial took the location that we were going to use what happened that day and how how are you feel just go take me through it yeah, that was that was an amazing uh, day, and it turned out like we really turned a challenging and awful situation that would have shut down like a big production yeah. into a like a real creative blessing. Um, I remember we hired a guy, so we had submitted plans to the city of Portland to close an intersection, intermittent mm-hmm. street closing, so we could do this scene where our hero pulls up at an intersection after he's taken the Erecta, the Viagra type pill. Um, this buxy, buxom woman pulls up next to him, uh, and then hilarity ensues. So my flagger, the first guy to get to the location, goes, hey, Aaron, I'm here. And like, wow, I didn't know you guys had so many trucks. Like, this is a massive production. And I'm thinking, oh, shit. Like, yeah. What do you mean? Like, we have one truck. We have a like a U-Haul gra- you know, <laughs> grip truck. And, uh, and I know it wasn't there because I'm with everyone right now. So Dave and I, like... You know, race from the dorms. We get there. We had permitted the intersection, but Ford had permitted all of the four streets um, that were connecting at this intersection, Mm -hmm. all of the parking on these streets. For a commercial, they're shooting down the street. Uh So there was no way in how we could shoot at this intersection because every single way the camera would point is just a giant, monstrous, like, white grip truck. Right. so I fortunately I had the head of organ or or cell phone number and I called him and I'm just like dude like you gotta help me out and he's like just pick another intersection we'll make it work. Yeah. So we picked another intersection turned out to have a train the max the above ground rail going through there and we ended up at one point stopping the train illegally mm. because yeah. we were filming there and at that point our plan for traffic. Um, kind of like traffic handling just went out the window yeah. and ended up filming there. I mean, yeah. it all worked out, but like, yeah. Were you, was there ever any other moments during Little Blue Pill where you were like an OF moment? Like, oh no, like something like went, didn't go through or something like, you know, like a location or an actor or something? You know, I think the retirement home location, I feel like we we spent a lot of time yeah, looking yeah, yeah. for that. I mean, we had... I don't know. It really was like an incredible, like lucky experience. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. We worked hard, but we were organized. We yeah, had a yeah. Great first AD Zach. Like he kept us all pretty much on schedule. Mm-hmm. Like we just kind of moved as a unit. You know, yeah. we all lived together. The next day, it was like, all right, what are we shooting today? We'd all pile in like four or five cars. We'd drive to location. We'd shoot. We'd come back. Um, you know, I'd sit with the editor and anyone else who wanted, and we'd watch daily to yeah, yeah. figure out, all right, like, what are we doing next? Like, yeah. that was awesome that we had our editor in the dorm complex mm-hmm. with us, like, at the same, you know, down yeah. the hall, yeah. editing while we were shooting. Um, 
I think the first day of shooting, if I recall correctly, was at the the kind of mansion. Yeah. It was almost like the opening scene for the movie, and it was like super cloudy mm-hmm. and it was raining. And, yeah. You know, and you're like, oh crap! Yeah. Like here we go again, right? Yeah. But I remember the way you adjusted like the line. You just had mm-hmm. him sort of be like, and on a sunny day. You know, and then he just sort of shrugs, yeah, yeah, like, totally. you know, like, how, did any elements of the script shift and change depending on, like, the production situation? You know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. for instance, like Club Sesso, which was mm-hmm. Ron Jeremy's, I guess it's a sex club or something like that. We used that. Uh, originally in the script, was that what it was supposed to be? Like, that place? And, you know, like, how'd you score that? Yeah. <laughs> um. I think elements of the script changed daily. Right. And that was part of because I had no I had no production company, I had no financiers, I had no writer, I had no one who I or we were accountable to mm-hmm. for any creative changes. Uh-huh. It was literally it was I wrote it, yeah. I'm directing it, I'm one of the producers, and as long as my other uh, producing partner, Dave and Alex, who was in LA for a big portion of the time, um, thought the changes worked mm-hmm. then we made it yeah you know and and i think because it was my first narrative over a minute and a half long mm-hmm. i was very much like i put myself in the hands of my team because right. they were awesome yeah and they all wanted to be filmmakers from like early points in their life and i kind of happened into it a little yeah, later yeah. and you know i just knew it's like these guys know what they're talking about yeah. if they say it's a good change make it if yeah. they don't like it, then, you know, I'm going like, to yeah. listen to that. Especially Dave, who's yeah. really good at, like, looking at a script and seeing what needs to go and what needs to, you know, like, what needs to be adjusted and stuff like that. What did the marketplace look like when you were done with it? Like, w- how is it different from now? And, like, you know, you it ended up on Netflix, you know, which is yeah. a big deal. So, yeah. like, how did that all come to be? I think when... I'm trying to impress people with that indie by name dropping you know, a <laughs> little blue pill. I mentioned we sold it to Netflix, yeah. which I don't think would probably happen with the same film nowadays. Mm-hmm. They weren't producing their own content. Um, you know, we made a decision early on in development that set the course for where we were going to probably net out in mm-hmm, terms mm-hmm. of like the, the ceiling that this film would have. Right. And, and that was to use non-union actors. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have the money. The whole budget of this movie, including post, including all the work we did to deliver it for foreign distributors, was like $94,000. Oh, yeah? So if I had used, if I had signed with SAG, even with their low, like ultra low budget agreement, mm-hmm. you know, I would have had to pay overtime. I would have had to, you know, like pay people travel days as they, you know, I don't know that you can even ask a SAG actor like, Hey, congratulations. You've been cast. Now drive yourself 1800 yeah. miles to Portland <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm not paying you for that because yeah. I don't have any money, you know? So we just went with the best actors we could find. And we were so lucky in the right. two leads, you know, Aaron Kuban and Adam Carr. Yeah. Who are amazing. We're amazing. And they're still amazing actors. And, um, you know, like, I, I just so so by not using SAG actors, by using guys um, I met on LACasting.com, mm-hmm. you know, who didn't have a background that anyone would have financed or anyone would have, like a distributor would have said, right. oh, it's an Aaron, you know, Aaron Kuban, Adam Carr yeah. movie, great, like, yeah. you know, like let's put it in theaters. Um, we when we wrapped the movie, when we finished editing it, um, we hired a kind of like a sales consulting company mm-hmm. and they really didn't have a lot a lot of luck mm-hmm. you know after like three or four or five of maybe the most frustrating months of my life yeah. because i didn't feel like i had a lot of control mm-hmm. uh they were like aaron we sent it to Lionsgate, we sent it to this person and all these people have passed like yeah. we have one offer from a company i'm not going to mention because they're still around where they were like will they will take 70 percent of all the revenue that comes in, I'll get 30. They'll print, you know, a thousand DVDs for every DVD they don't sell. I get charged off the top, like $5. Um, They take 10,000 in marketing costs off the top. And so I looked at this contract that my, you know, that my sales consulting company was pushing me to sign. I'm like, this is fucking garbage. If I do this, I have no control. I'll never make a penny ever, ever, ever make a penny. And these guys are going to make money off my movie. Yeah. And yeah. it's just a digital distribution. They're not really going to do anything. They didn't really have a track record of like doing anything with movies. But I think that's a pretty standard distribution agreement. So I was like, you know what? Thanks, guys. Um, you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> I fired the consulting company. 
Um, and then I, through a contact, met um, a really incredible guy named Logan uh, Mulvey, who mm-hmm. was the founder of Go Digital, which oh. is a digital distribution oh, no. platform. They, at the time, they didn't really do any marketing or they didn't offer it for me. But he's like, listen, man, we'll put your film into our kind of digital distribution network. We'll see if we can get it on Netflix. We'll get it on iTunes, on all of these different platforms. Mm-hmm. And um, you'll keep 70% of gross. So nice. for every dollar someone spends on iTunes, um, the film grosses, we get 70%. Nice. Um, and I did the marketing myself. You nice. know, I rented a theater in Oregon. I had a, a friend of mine who's a costume designer create a giant little blue pill, pilly costume, yeah. like a life-size pill that we had someone wear. And we went to bars and we passed out flyers and we created a Facebook page and Facebook was still pretty newish at the mm-hmm. time. So like any way we could tell people about this movie, right. we did. So once you were done, it's just, prom- I mean, and you get it to the digital platforms and so it's just promotion, promotion, promotion. Yeah, I think if, if you knew me for a year you were getting bombarded with like my messaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About, Watch my movie. Now it's on Netflix. Make sure to give it four stars. Go on IMDb. Create an IMDb account. Give it five stars. Yeah. You know, buy it on iTunes. Make sure to leave a comment. Like, yeah. It was just pure hustling, and it was it was so hard. But I felt like every time someone bought it on iTunes, every time one of my friends is like, "Hey, man, yeah, download the film. I'm gonna watch it this weekend." I'm like, "Sweet, we're yeah. Gonna, you know, we're gonna get like." Two bucks. Yeah, nice. Instead Aaron, of some distributor yeah. keeping it all. Aaron Kuban told me that you still sometimes like get like checks, you know, like for, Yeah. You know. So that's like a it's a really funny situation because as part of my um agreements and like my deals with most of the crew, you know, <clears throat> they get a portion, they get points, right. right? Like we all get points. But the points don't kick in until the film has recouped its initial investment right, right. to the investors. Mm-hmm. I've got some, you know, a friend I went to college with who invested $15,000 in it. I've got um, uh, my dad's cousin who gave me like $10,000, mm-hmm. um, some other people. And so as of now, we still haven't paid them all back. Oh, yeah. So there's just one guy in particular who every year hits me up and he's like, hey, Aaron, like, where's my money, man? Like, you're holding <laughs> out. I'm like, listen, dude. I like I don't mean to sound like a dick and I'm not trying to screw you over. Yeah. We're still like eighty grand in the hole. So yeah. at this point, bro, I, I don't know that you're ever gonna see anything. Yeah, yeah. But I hope that the work you did on this movie helps you as you go on in your career and maybe you're able to get more jobs out yeah, of it. I yeah. know that certainly helped me and and I think a handful of other people who worked on the film. You know, yeah. I mean everyone is did great work and and almost everyone who worked on the movie has like gone on to like real like awesome careers yeah and And it must be said that there is like this fraternity between all of us that worked on the film which is kind of it's a really it was a really special thing and stuff if you were to give um advice say there's a 12 year old kid Mm -hmm. and he saw little blue pill he liked it. he's like i want to do that what do you say to that kid yeah you know this is what this is kind of my standard advice, and I mm-hmm. think it's because people have asked me this a lot. And I also, when I have an opinion, I, I give it. Yeah. I love helping young people and mentoring young filmmakers. And so my advice is like, it's really, it's like a Nike slogan, just do it. Yeah. Like, um, in my 10 plus years in Hollywood, I've run into thousands of people who just talk about like making a feature talk about making a short or talk about writing and just and then a year later we connect and we you know i'm like hey how's your project going oh man you know i'm um, getting through the first act and uh, and how's your project going aaron i'm like cool yeah i made it Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i'm trying to sell it now yeah you know and i think that like it's not about getting it perfect the first time. Nobody's perfect and mm-hmm. no film is perfect. Even like, you know, the best movies, like even the, the movies we love and we grew up on and, you know, the, the reasons why we're all here, um, nothing's perfect. And I'm sure every filmmaker from like Spielberg to Martin Scorsese wishes they could go back and make a change in yeah, scene yeah. in Jaws yeah. or, you know, or The Departed. And so, you know, if you keep trying to rewrite for perfection you're just you're never going to find it yeah. you're going to get frustrated yeah. and it's not about like making that one awesome film in your life it's about making 30 yeah, right? yeah. like if you're a feature yeah. filmmaker you need to make 
10 to 30 movies in your career to mm-hmm. be able to make a living as a feature film yeah. director or yeah. producer. That's just what it is. It's not a business where people get rich. Mm-hmm. You know, you really have to work. And, if you want to uh, do that, be a lawyer or something. You know, Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, going to real estate, going to banking, going to anything but filmmaking. And um, so my advice to that, like, 12-year-old kid is... Um, you know, hey man, you want to be a feature film director? Like, work backwards. You're 12, yeah. So start writing. Don't wait for your friends to give you a script. You like come up with an idea that you have the means to shoot. Yeah. If your parents have a cabin in Big Bear, write something that takes place in a cabin in Big Bear. Yeah. Find some friends who are actors, some contemporaries. <clears throat> Find a DP or become a DP. You know, mm-hmm. get a DSLR camera, and then get a, you know editing software for your laptop and just. Write it, shoot it, edit it, release it on YouTube, and do it again. Yeah, just and do just, it. Nothing should take longer. None of those stages should take longer than a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. A little bit after Little Blue Pill, and this just popped into my head, uh, you scored a gig on John Dies at the end. Please talk about that. Tell me th- that yeah. whole experience. And you were nice enough to invite me to the premiere and stuff, and that was really cool. Yeah, so that was the craziest filmmaking experience of my life. I mean, 50-plus days of shooting, at least like 15 of those were night shoots. It was my first horror movie. We had gore. We had stunts. We blew up a car, and we flipped it. And, like, you know, we... I mean, pretty much anything that I do now in my day-to-day as a kind of head of content Uh and partnerships at this startup called Amaze, um, I've done and John dies at the end. You know, when someone comes to me now and they're like, hey, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, you know, wants to blow something up in a Amaze video. I'm like, cool. I know, like, I'm going to reach out to my pyro guy, Yeah. And, you know, and if he can't do it, he'll tell me who can. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that was so interesting because one of my friends who worked on Little Blue Pill, uh, George Ross Saturnino, right. who's now, like, blowing up in the content finance yeah. world. He's right? a great right. guy and he's a friend to the podcast. Too. He's, you know, <laughs> perfect, cool. yeah. perfect. Uh, what's up, George? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I believe it was George had like applied for this job. And then at the time, uh, and the job at the time was to be a coordinator on this movie. Um, and then he had taken something else and he was like, hey, uh, Aaron, like you should put your name in your hat. You know, yeah. your, I mean, your name in the hat. In the in hat. The yeah. <laughs> yes. And uh, so I went and I met with the director, uh, Don Coscarelli, who's a really a mentor of mine and just a tremendous guy and an awesome, awesome filmmaker. I learned so much from him. And a legend. And, and a legend, yeah. yes. And uh, and Josh Lewin, who is the other coordinator, who um, by the end of the movie, we were both co-producers. We, you know, we did the physical production. Mm-hmm. So me with one feature under my belt and Josh with no features, um, one of the smartest guys I, I know. Yeah. He's now an attorney. Oh, nice. So clearly he's a lot smarter than <laughs> oh, wait, I am. I know that kid. Yeah. I met him at a couple of your parties. Yeah. That yeah, kid, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so... You know, basically, we just learned what we were doing as we were going through. Yeah. You know, um, we divided up tasks, but we did a lot of it together. And I think it really took two incredibly inexperienced producers mm-hmm. to produce one movie that ended up premiering. At yeah. Sundance, well, I, it's still a big movie. Like, I see it all the time at, like, Best Buy and, like, on, like, awesome. Netflix. It's, it's cool, you know? Like, how long was the uh, principal photography? And then how long... Because there was, like, a million little, like, special effects things, as you mentioned. Oh, yeah. How long did it take to wrangle all of that stuff after, you know, you shot the meat of the film? Yeah, so what was so fun is... When I was hired, they were pretty much, like, ready to go. Uh I think we probably had about two months, maybe three months of prep, including finding a warehouse. We ended up finding one in Downey and building a whole bunch of big sets Mm -hmm. there. You know, location scouting. I mean, tons and tons of locations. Um, You know, Don handled most of the casting or all the casting. Um, But, you know, so about three months of pretty intensive prep. And then about probably two months of full-time shooting and then a bunch of pickup shots. And then we just went right into editing. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, we were editing while we were shooting. Mm -hmm. And towards the end, we would shoot. And then Don and his editor, also named Don, the two, excuse me, the two Dons would go and edit. And then Don Coscarelli would come back and say, all right, Aaron, we need to get this shot. Like, And we did some, you know. No. At that point, it was just like a small little SWAT team. We're like, all right, we're going to pick off the shot here. And then we're going to run to this hardware store yeah. and get the shot. Um, but 
you know, we knew we wanted to try to premiere it at Sundance, so we had a ticking clock. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, to Don's credit, he got it to the right people at Sundance. He and his his team, um, his kind of uh, finance and production team, some great guys from M3 Creative. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, we really had a ticking clock because we had sent them a video that had about uh, 700 missing visual effects shots. Uh-huh. And Don asked me to stay on after the shoot and help manage the kind of post-production process, which I'd never done. Right. And uh, help manage some visual effects artists, which I had also never done. Mm-hmm. And uh, also kind of find some additional visual effects off- artists, which I had definitely also never done. Yeah. And so at this point, you know, I'm running hard drives from Don to VFX artists. I'm saying, hey, like, you know, these 20 shots in Korok's chamber, we need to add the hell background and then this next guy is going to come and he's going to add the giant tentacles and then we're going to put it all together in layers right um i mean it was a great learning experience i mean i'm never going to be a vfx supervisor but like to get to do that was there a fixed budget for all of the visual effects and did you guys get under over that uh yeah i mean i'll say the budget for this movie like what we did with that budget like you know, with shock anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's awesome. I, it's like little blue pill. Yeah. I pride myself. I think really one of my best skills as a filmmaker, as a producer, is taking whatever money someone has and making the best possible content. Yeah. And making content that looks like it's worth far more than yeah. we shot it for. And I do that every day now yeah. in Amaze. You know? No. That's, I mean, I was lucky enough on my first short film to, to find you. I mean, that's how we met. And it looks great, you know, like, but, um, uh, describe just quickly and then we'll move on to Omaze because I've got a, I got a ton of questions about that. But, um, Don's directorial style, what was it like? Like, how is he on set? Don is, he's very sure, mm-hmm. you know, he is a seasoned director. And I think because he had, he wrote the script based on, uh, he adapted it from David Wong's book, John Dies at the End. Uh-huh. And so, I don't know how long he was writing it for, but he really knew what he wanted. Yeah. You know, he's made a bunch of great horror films and genre films. And so... Like Phantasm. Yeah, like Phantasm. I mean, it was really a treat to watch him direct because of the level of confidence he had in his direction. Yeah. Um, You know, the crew loved him. The cast loved him. He was always... He was great to us. He, you know, he pushed us hard. He pushed himself hard. But... At the end of the day, like we all knew we were making something special. Yeah, because, yeah, you yeah. Know, everyone was a hundred percent in. So he's not like because I I saw him briefly at the premiere, and he just he has like a very friendly vibe, and you know, so he wasn't like a tyrant or anything. Like, oh no, quite the opposite. I mean, he's he's a gentle giant. Oh yeah, yeah. So so these special effects, because like I haven't seen the movie since the premiere. I want to rewatch it mm-hmm. again. But you're right. Like, there's like a lot of special effects, and. A lot of them are kind of like, I don't want to say throwaway, but they're just so casual mm-hmm. within the frame. How many special effects would you say were there? Hundreds. Hundreds? Yeah. And it's like every day you're, you're working on like a few of them or you're supervising or... You know, at one point in time, I feel like we had in the teens to like... 20 plus visual effects artists Jeez. Uh, working on it. Uh-huh. We also work with a great company called Syndrome, which um, brought in a whole bunch of artists and managed really like the kind of finishing VFX work. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it took an army. Yeah. You know, that kind of work, like, I mean, there's one, for example, one shot that that's like maybe one of my favorite shots. And uh, this was done by a kind of VFX mad scientist now turned filmmaker and yeah. actor star of uh white trash ninja you should definitely have white one. trash ninja yeah, you should, you <laughs> i like it already you gotta have ryan, ryan harrison if you're listening we yeah. need to get you on this podcast hey man, come on connect over you guys yeah but uh you know so we in the book um after the two heroes are in this basement and they realize like oh my god this uh this woman who brought us down here is saying that there's a her boyfriend is possessed is actually a giant demon Mm -hmm. so they run for the door the door handle turns into a giant flaccid penis yeah so ryan did that shot on all on his own Uh so that's a one example of like you you know you don't need a army like you see at the end of you know a transformers Mm -hmm. movie yeah a visual effects artist to actually make a visual effect if you have one good artist that person can make 
you know, he can do a shot yeah. or she on his or her own. Um, where you need the manpower is really just because of the quantity of shots. Right? Yeah. How much, uh, last thing about John's eyes yeah. at the end, how much was the budget all in all? Do you know? Yeah, I do know, but I can't talk. Oh, about really? It. Oh, okay. It's fine. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Um, so now, Aaron, you are at Omaze, which is an amazing company yeah. that produces amazing, amazing content with huge amazing <laughs> stars how'd you get this gig and describe like a typical day i mean i mean when i say stars i mean for the listener just so they know like i'm talking people like stars ben affleck idris elba like the cream of the crop of hollywood stars so how did this all come to be sure so um two two and a half years ago i was working for revelations entertainment which is morgan freeman's production company with his i worked for his producing partner laurie mccreary who's a an excellent producer mm-hmm. um you know they produced invictus now uh we have the show madam secretary on yeah. the air through the wormhole with morgan freeman and on and on and on mm-hmm. very prolific very like kind of highbrow production right. company um but i remember seeing just like all the stuff all the buzz about silicon beach and the mm-hmm. tech world and thinking you know i uh, before Revelations, I had two feature films fall apart on me. Mm-hmm. Um, one, the financing fell through. The other one, uh, we also the financing yeah, fell through. Yeah. And, and so it was really, it was a year of just like pure heartbreak. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was about ready to fly to New York to produce a movie that I had written for some pretty big producers mm-hmm. who done like huge movies with A-list stars. And, uh, and then at the last minute, the financing fell through. I had to get on the phone and call about 30 agents, mm-hmm. uh, the entire cast, some of who were about to hop on a plane from Europe to come, Brutal. you know, flights that we had purchased. Jeez. And, uh, and I had to call them all and say, hey, guys, you know, I'm sorry, the movie's not happening. And that was one of the worst days of my professional career. Yeah, yeah. Um, as you can imagine, no one was happy to hear that call. Yeah. And those calls then led to many many more calls and complicated negotiations and yeah. then, uh, calls with the screen actors guild and and it was a nightmare and so you know when i uh started running into more and more people in the tech world i thought like i, I really want to check this out like i want to see what's going on and see you know la is a hub of entertainment and tech and uh, there's a lot of entertainment tech mm-hmm. so uh one of my good friends robert lambert who i surf with puts on a job fair for tech companies mm-hmm. And so I went to this job fair at USC. I'm dressed in a blazer and a tie. I'm probably the oldest person there (laughs) who's not on the recruiting side by like a decade. Um, And I talked to a handful of kind of entertainment-related startups. And there's one of them in particular amazed that I thought like, wow, this company seems great. They offer these once-in-a-lifetime experiences um, in the form of a sweepstakes. Yeah. To raise money for charities. Which is great. Working with celebrities to get the word out there and just creating a ton of impact um, in the world for, I mean, just huge charities and very small, very tactical charities. Yeah, and yeah. So I, uh, I ended up kind of saying like, wow, this is, you know, this is a company I really, really, really want to work for. Yeah. And um, the, one of the people who's at the booth, whose name is Erica, who I still work with today, who's like. I mean, we work incredibly close together mm-hmm. on the creative and the marketing content. So, I, um, you know, we had kept in touch and we had drinks and, and she said, all right, we've got this one campaign. If it does well, we may have a full-time production job. And then I remember <clears throat> I'm at Revelations and I'm scrolling through Deadline Hollywood Daily and I see the, the article, Amaze launches campaign raffling off a role in the new Star Wars movie. Yeah. And I email her and I'm like, oh, I think, you're, <laughs> I think your campaign is going to do pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, I pursued them pretty heavily for uh, for a couple months until they officially opened the role of manager of production. And uh, as part of my interview process, I produced a video with Seth Rogen, uh-huh. um, which is still like one of my favorite videos. Yeah. It's a video where he invites you to go to prom with him to raise money for a charity that supports Alzheimer's research. And uh, and then after that, um, you know, shortly after they you know offered me the job, and I you know left Revelations to go work for Amaze, and yeah. I've been there for over two years, and it's honestly been the best uh, best job I've ever had, yeah. best career experience. Like, 
coworkers and management are incredible. And so you live in the dream. I mean, I see all the yeah. stuff on Facebook that, you know, it's great. Like I'm, I'm living a dream that I didn't even know existed. Which is the two best years ago. dream. It's a dr- Yes. It's totally <laughs> yeah, it really is a dream. You know, so uh, I'm going to name a few videos and you just tell me what went behind the scenes of, of making these videos. Sure. The Arnold Schwarzenegger video, which if you want to explain the setup. Uh, yeah. So they're actually, I've produced two videos with Arnold Schwarzenegger um, back to back. Uh-huh. So simultaneously. Uh, and, and this was one I'd been at Amaze for a few months. And so, you know, typically we'll pitch our celebrity partners a handful of ideas. And we'll say, hey, you know, like uh, the experience is X. So we've come up with some ideas we think would really help sell the experience. Mm-hmm. Let us know what you like. Mm-hmm. And then we'll we'll make it. Yeah, And so... We ended up agreeing to produce two videos for that, both what I call tentpole videos. The first, which I think was on a Thursday, was um, or maybe a Friday, was Arnold pranks people in Hollywood dresses the Terminator. Uh-huh. And then the next day, we shot Blow Shit Up with Arnold, which was the biggest video we've ever done in yeah. a maze with the pyro team from The Hunger Games. And, um, I mean, just a massive endeavor. Mm-hmm. We had a tank there. That's actually Arnold's personal tank. I mean, it was, it was insane. Yeah. And uh, so we did those both back to back. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, How? it was like I could do a whole podcast episode on each one of those. Oh, yeah. They were so massive. Like, uh, which one uh, do you have more of an affection for, the blowing up stuff or pranking people in downtown? I mean, uh, in Hollywood. Yeah. Well, I love the blow shit up video. Yeah. I mean, it's gorgeous, right? We shot a bunch of different explosions. We blew up a. Uh, a giant box of wooden, like a giant wooden crate, which just exploded all over the place. A bunch yeah. of uh, 20 pound gummy bears. We blew up a kiddie pool yeah. full of water. We blew up a house that we had built out there. Yeah. It's like blowing up the box office, like a box office booth. Yeah. Um, we blew up a car. That's crazy. It was actually Eric Stone Street for Modern Family's car. Uh, <laughs> so Eric not... runs into the scene. Arnold, you blew up my car. Yeah. Arnold was holding a rocket launcher. Yeah. Damn. Know? And he blew it up with the rocket launcher? Kind of. Oh, yeah. Oh, he yeah. was kind of like... like... Ask me that for the next question, because okay. <laughs> there's a very special story. And and so, and then we shot all of that with a uh, a bunch of Airy, Amira, really gorgeous looking cameras mm-hmm. and lenses. Unbelievable cinematographer named John Rutland. So it just looks like just gorgeous. And then we also shot it with a Phantom. So we have a bunch of high-speed footage. Oh, yeah. So like in terms of just pure explosion porn, that... Mm-hmm. That video is <laughs> the greatest thing. Yeah. Um, but what's funny is we released that one first. Like it, you know, maybe today has two million views on YouTube. Damn. Like it did well. Yeah. And we were all like, oh, okay. Like it didn't go as viral as we had hoped. And then two weeks later, we released this like what was kind of the bastard stepchild, which was yeah. Arnold as the Terminator pranking people in Hollywood and Madame Tussauds uh, waxing scene uh, and just went mega viral. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. won a YouTube ad of the year award. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like has been nominated for a whole bunch of different uh, different awards like Streamies and Webbies and like that's like kind of the best, most successful video we've yeah. ever done. Um, so the funny thing about the rocket launcher is after yeah, the video goes live, I get a email from our uh, our vp of business affairs this guy ben and ben's like you know in the email's like hey aaron uh so the atf wants to get on the phone right the <laughs> alcohol tobacco firearm bureau uh, they're also in charge of like basically monitoring explosives uh, in the u.s uh, and um and so i get on the phone with them and they're like listen aaron like we saw your video we know that what you raffled off what what the sweepstakes is is the opportunity to once again blow shit up with arnold mm-hmm. but we need to talk about the rocket launcher you know rocket launchers are illegal for uh-huh. civilians here and i'm like yeah no i i understand um you know what the rocket launcher was was actually it was a prop it was a probably a decommissioned rocket launcher uh-huh. with a smoke pack in the back timed to um the car which was had a whole bunch of kind of uh, gasoline rigged explosions uh-huh. inside, so it, it was a stunt. It wasn't like Arnold actually pointed a real rocket launcher at a car and blew it up. It was right. a beautifully executed stunt with a little visual effects of like uh-huh. a smoke trail. Yeah, and uh, and he's like, okay, got it. And you know, who's your pyro guy? And I said, you know, Mark. And he goes, Mark. Oh, I love Mark. <laughs> like Mark's the best. And you know, just to 
to be on the phone with an ATF agent yeah. who's essentially investigating me. Yeah. Um, and then have him be like, oh, you're pyro guy. We're best friends. Like, tell him I said hi. Yeah, yeah. It was a pretty fun experience. How big is your crew? Like, let's say for the pyro thing. Mm-hmm. How big is your crew? I mean, the pyro team alone was probably about eight or ten people. Uh-huh. The crew on that one was maybe 50. Oh, yeah. We had a lot of people who were also... Like, we invited some people from Amaze to come and to kind of stand way, way, way back mm-hmm. from the explosions and watch. Um, we had some investors who were there as well. So it was actually kind of, it was a little, you know, it was a busy set. Yeah, yeah. And um, as the producer, one of my big concerns throughout the day is just making sure we ensured the safety of yeah, everyone, considering yeah, yeah. we were blowing up shit that could legitimately kill you mm-hmm. many many times over and we had arnold um driving his tank around the set as well yeah. as we were filming that so it was uh you know we nothing happened thankfully there were yeah. no injuries it was an incredible day yeah. um but you know how about the crew for like something like the channing tatum video where which i thought was really funny by the way where he's elvis oh yeah i was like which uh which, can you elaborate which yeah. which channing tatum prank video yes the elvis video uh that was also probably about a crew of 30 oh, you yeah. know we had another producer who came on for that we had a you know whole bunch of a uh, large camera crew because we were hiding cameras all over the place um you know large uh, art department mm-hmm. we, we took a empty office and we built a vegas casino floor on there yeah yeah that was a big shoot yeah it was a big one i've us. always known you as a guy that like loves nature and loves to like tra- go out and see things and stuff what's the craziest location that you've been on <clears throat> in your omez travels um i think one of the most fun locations was the island of jersey uh-huh so jersey is a, a british crown as i understand it i'm still still don't fully understand the different kind of countries and within the british right empire, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's, it's uh, presumably it's like a country in the british empire that's not part of england between england and france and the english channel and uh that's where henry cavill's from mm-hmm. as his family is from there and so uh we went to Jersey, me, uh, Will Gore, who's a director I work with a lot, is a dear friend, and Lucas, uh, who's our DP on that shoot and who's mm-hmm. the DP on Little Blue Pill. We flew to London Heathrow, then we took a small plane to the island of Jersey, and from there we went to a place called Dural, which is a wildlife sanctuary where mm-hmm. they um, they do research and they breed endangered species. Uh-huh. So it's a very, like, it kind of... Sm- beautiful um like i mean really it's like an unbelievable endangered species sanctuary Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on this island and that's where we filmed henry oh yeah and so while we were filming and while we were prepping we were walking around and the uh the curators and the um i guess kind of the for lack of a better word the zoologists were explaining to us like look this fruit bat is in danger there's Mm -hmm. only so many thousand in the world and we have about a thousand here um and I mean, that was just that yeah. was an incredible experience. How much has your department changed? Like, what's the difference between the department before Aaron came and after? Like, what do you guys? Because one time you said that you you got like a bunch more equipment and this and that. And yeah. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, I've been lucky to. I mean, Amaze has. We've been on a great kind of run of uh, of growing the company in a nice like organic way and and as a result the more campaigns we do the larger our appetite for content is mm-hmm. so when i started it was me uh, an editor and a writer uh, brent and mike who are now essentially like the heads of yeah. the creative in the All department right. and um and then we've grown the department we we just hired a new manager of production uh, delaney who right. i worked with at my previous job was fantastic um, we've got a whole bunch of great editors, yeah. Justin, Cody, Claire, Eve. Um, and then we've got a full-time writer slash like kind of field producer, Eric, right. who is now, his job is now, he's the guy to fly around the world mm-hmm. and do the Idris shoots yeah. in London. And um, and then Mike is our head writer and Brent is our director right. of content. What about equipment-wise? Oh, man. So we, when I started there, we just had like a, canon 7d dslr and like a mm-hmm. weird sony camera that never really fully worked in the janitor's closet underneath like a bunch of single serve like doritos <sighs> bags yeah and um and so i you know it really just wasn't gonna cut it so i put together a presentation for um for the co-founders matt and ryan i said hey guys like you know i think we can really save some money and headache and hassle on gear rentals we don't really have 
the time to send someone to Sammy's camera every time we have a shoot and um, if we just buy this stuff. And so we ended up getting two uh, Canon C100 cameras, the Mark II, um, you know, lenses, uh, Pelican flight packs. So essentially the camera, the lens, the um, audio recording equipment all fits into the overhead compartment. Mm -hmm. And we have probably used each one of those cameras over 200 times. Right. Like we use them on all our small shoots and then on our big shoots, there are like B cam or C cam or behind the scenes camera. I mean, they're phenomenal. Um, and then we just bought a Canon uh, C300 Mark II to start shooting in 4K so that we can do vertical crop for Facebook and for uh -huh. Snapchat. Uh -huh. When you're uh, dealing with, say, like an Arnold Schwarzenegger or another big name, how many people in terms of his camp are you dealing with? Do you get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, like how yeah. many are, are you dealing with a lot of handlers or are you just dealing with that person when you're doing the shoots? You know, um, every... Every shoot is different. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the caliber of talent that we work with, it, they are generally, um, you know, working with a pretty large and pretty seasoned team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're, publici they're publicists. Maybe they have their own production company or their producing partner, their assistants, their, uh, their social media um, kind of videographers sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, some of the celebrities we've worked with bring their own camera teams to film or Snapchat our filming yeah, because yeah. that's just a big part of how they continue to grow their brand. So it's really different. But, um, you know, at some point, it's really the director and that actor. Yeah. Which is, you know, is... And I've done a lot of... I mean, I've directed a handful of our videos and, um, you know, with The Rock and Kevin Hart. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's always when you get to that point, everything else really melts away and you're yeah. like, all right, I'm just like a dude making internet videos yeah. and now I'm going to tell the rock what to do. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. You know, you just, you got to do it. How right? did you, okay. Well, <laughs> you told the rock what to do. How was that? Like, you know, he, he seems like one of the nicest guys in the world. Uh, how did you like, how do you give the rock direction? I really want to know. Like, you know, he is one of the nicest guys in the world. I, I mean, I think that, um, I hope he runs for president someday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I think he's that... He's that uh, cool. He's, a, he's that cool. He's a great human being. Yeah. He's incredibly intelligent, and he's just, like, a very warm individual. Um, you know, and, yeah, I mean, you basically, you do your homework. You come prepared. Yeah. Um, he, specifically with him, he is also a guy who does his homework and comes prepared. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, and then you have to be a, able to kind of roll with it. And, you know, you like, my job isn't to because the type of content we shoot isn't to be super prescriptive and get him to hit every single beat the mm -hmm. way that we imagined it. It's to get him to elevate the content. Right. So it feels organic. Yeah. And it feels authentic to his yeah. brand. And then, you know, when he posts it on his social media, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like it's awkward. You know? Right. It's right, like, right. Hey, here, here I am again, friends. You know, yeah. let me tell you about this cool thing I'm doing with the maze. Yeah. So ideally you just want the talent to just be comfortable mm -hmm. and just kind like, of like, yeah, yeah, you know, um, what else was I going to ask? This is great, Aaron. This was a, a great uh, podcast session. Awesome. Um, nice. also you mentioned that you guys have a writer. So is he the guy that's coming up with the concepts or is it like a group thing? Yes. We have a team of writers in house. Um, and then we also employ freelance writers and, we have this team we call it the tiger team oh yeah and what it is is it's a it's a small group made up of writers producers editors creative executives at our company mm -hmm. myself and um whenever we get tasked with brainstorming ideas um or those ideas have then been uh selected by the partner and you know the writers will go away and write and mm -hmm. then we'll come back together and we'll workshop it in a writer's room yeah so we kind of modeled our writer's room a little after the TV writer's room. Uh -huh. It's a very collaborative, oh, yeah. very safe That's space. Cool. Um, but, you know, we demand a lot of ourselves. And I yeah. think we deliver on that quality with yeah. our content. And it's a lot of work. Yeah. Like, there's a ton of work that the writing team, the creative team, Tiger team put in behind the scenes to get the scripts to the point where we're then on set yeah. with, you know, The Rock. So what does the future hold for Mr. Godfrey and Omaze and all these great things that you're doing and stuff? What are you like, uh, what are your plans? Well, this was a really, really fun week because we just launched our campaign with Edris Elba. Yeah. Um, we get to 
be his going on a Valentine's Day date with Idris. Yeah. And the first video we launched was a fairly simple but elegant straight to camera of him mm-hmm. pitching in a sensuous way the opportunity to join him at Valentine's Day and support a charity that helps uh, empower girls and educate them in Sierra Leone. That's and, cool. Um, he posted it on his Facebook page. And we knew we had something special about 10 minutes in when it was probably up to a couple hundred thousand. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like saw- the likes and comments and engagement were off the charts. And so four days later, we've had over 7 million views on Facebook. Jeez. Probably, you know, close to 100,000 on YouTube. And it's been written up by every major news um, outlet yeah. in probably the Western world Damn. and then some, including, yeah. you know, Good Morning America, the Today Show, yeah. the Time. That's crazy. You know, USA Today, like, it, it's been insane yeah. reaction. And so what I'm excited about is all of those people who have chimed in and said, you know, Idris is my dream date. Oh, I would do this to him on Valentine's <laughs> Day. And, uh, you know, what a good guy. He's supporting charity. What they don't know is that we've got another video coming that's going to blow oh, the really? doors <laughs> off of Idris. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's going to be in the press again in two weeks yeah. um, because this video, it's so different. Um, and it's so fun and unique and hilarious. And I'm just, I can't wait. Yeah. So um, one last question. Out of all the charities that you guys have been like good enough to, you know, promote and mm-hmm. do, which which one of them would you, uh, you know, adopt as your own? Or, or which one do you like? Yeah. You know, I grew up next door or essentially my, my father had a warehouse that was next door to the Anchorage, Alaska Boys and Girls uh-huh. Club. And uh, every day in the summer, he would drop me and my best friend, Aaron Case, another Aaron, off at Boys and Girls Club while he would go to work. And then mm-hmm. at the end of the day, he'd pick us up And uh, for multiple summers. And so we were asked to help raise money for a Lake Stevens, Washington Boys and Girls Club, which mm-hmm. is a north of Seattle. It's a very small town, um, a town that has had issues like many towns in rural America with drugs, mm-hmm. with meth. And um, they wanted to build a teen center. They wanted to be able to keep the teens kind of off the streets, out of trouble, and keep them in like an empowering, nurturing environment. And so uh, Chris Evans, or I'm sorry, Chris Pratt uh, from Guardians of the Galaxy Uh is from uh, Lake Stevens. And so we did a campaign with Chris and we raised enough money to build this teen center and to provide some budget for them to operate it. Um, within a six-week campaign by raffling off a set visit with Chris Mm -hmm. for Guardians of the Galaxy. And what was so fun is that the entire town of Lake Stevens came out for this. Uh You know, you can imagine a smaller town with the kind of marquees in front of some of the businesses where they're like, you know, on a Friday night, like, go Lake Stevens football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of those marquees were changed to supportamaze.com slash Chris. Help the Boys and Girls Club. And, you know, we just had such a connection with that cause and personally because of my experience with the Boys and Girls Club and uh, to, you know, now they're they're in the process of building that teen center. That's and great. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. And that's all because, you know, Chris was generous enough to donate his time, his social media yeah. and uh, and wanted to work yeah. with with us. That's you pretty know, awesome. That was a fun experience. That's pretty awesome. One last question and then uh, I'll let you go because you have a busy life. Um, uh, the first time you went viral, how mm-hmm. did you feel and how do you, how do you like even just go to sleep that night? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, Yeah, that's a great question. I'm trying to remember the first one. I think it might have been our John Legend dog wedding uh-huh. video. And you know, we have uh, a publicity team that we work with and part of what they do is they go out to the big news outlets to promote um you know to see if they want to talk about our video yeah. their shows like the good morning americas and today shows of the world and they place that on gma and to be able to launch a video uh, where john legend is presiding was singing his hit song yeah you know all of me yeah and presiding over a wedding between his two dogs <laughs> and then at the end his wife chrissy Teigen comes in and is like what are you doing this is insane <laughs> yeah. um like it really wasn't insane yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah. so much fun and uh so to be able to launch that on Good Morning America, and then see all of the other kind of blogs and websites that cover entertainment or animals pick it up um, was incredible. I mean, that stuff happens really yeah. quick. Yeah. And uh, I mean, 
we're fortunate because of the level of talent we work with that that you know ideally will happen every time uh-huh, and, uh-huh. you know when we do great content you know that fits what the kind of partner is known for um but surprising and out of the box and we do a great job of getting it out there um you know we've had countless kind of viral hits at this yeah, point yeah. and it's it's so much yeah. fun i mean it's so much aaron fun. i'm super happy for you for all of your success oh, and thanks and, brother and thanks so much for doing this man yeah it's my pleasure this was awesome Follow me on Twitter at Mr. Nasred. Follow me on Instagram at Mr. Nasred. Email me at nasredpodcast at gmail.com. And visit me at nasred.com for all of your Nasred needs. And please do like, share, subscribe on iTunes. And leave me a beautiful review. Goodbye, friends.